Aloha, this is Pastor Perry, and I want to thank you for joining us to study the Word of God together. We pray that you will be blessed as the Holy Spirit ministers to you through this message and through God's Word. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. You crushed it, Liz. Holy cow. All right, well, if you would uh, join me in a word of prayer. Almighty God, what a joy it is to come together as uh, your people and to uh, celebrate all that you've done uh, in our lives as well as in the lives of those around us and around the world. Lord, we thank you for your creation. We thank you for your new mercies every morning. Uh, and we thank you for, for this church uh, and this place that you've made. Lord, we ask that you would move in each of our lives. Lord, I ask that you would speak through me by the power of your Holy Spirit, words that are right and true, and that each of us would uh, submit to your word and be changed and tra transformed by you. Lord, we pray a, a special blessing on uh, those who aren't with us today. Lord, we think of those who are at home, sick, uh, in the hospital, uh, in extended care facilities. Lord, we ask that you would bless our brothers and our sisters in those places. Would you minister to their hearts? Would you let them uh, experience uh, your vitality and your, your love? your spirit and their bodies. Lord, we proclaim your goodness today. We say that you are the, the one true God. And we are so grateful that you have come to be a part, invited us to be a part of your life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, have you ever had a friend who just got stuck in something? Perhaps they, they wanted something so bad, and it's all they could think about, but that desire kept being denied from them. Or perhaps a friend got so frustrated and, and bent out of shape and anxious thinking about some worry of this world that that was all they could think about. I recently heard a story of two sisters who, during COVID, were experiencing one of those COVID wars that we all so fondly remember. And uh, sister one was on the side of the COVID war that COVID was all a big hoax. It was a worldwide government conspiracy to get more power. And she was so passionate and so consumed with this thought that she wouldn't go to social gatherings if you had to wear a mask. She was a, a symphony player in the city's uh, orchestra, and she stopped doing that because of the mask mandate. And any time you entered into a conversation with her, no matter what the topic was, it would always come back to the government this, the government that, this blog post this, this news article that. And this sister got stuck in the political fear that COVID brought. Sister two, on the other hand, was the total opposite side of the COVID spectrum. She was so concerned about COVID that even though she lived by herself in an apartment, she would oftentimes wear a mask sitting by herself in her apartment. She got so concerned and scared of COVID that she stopped going out of her apartment even to empty her trash, and her trash started piling up, and there's this strange smell coming from her apartment that the neighbors would have to complain about. And 
the situation got, got pretty bad for her because she got so obsessed with thinking about the fear that COVID brought. And this obsession and became so consuming in both of their lives. And this one word, COVID, two different actions, but the same response. They were both stuck. But it's not just COVID. It's the dog lover who lives in a no-dogs condo building. And you see in their Instagram thread all sorts of pictures of beautiful puppies. It's a heartbroken teenager who just got a, it's not you, it's me, text from their crush. It's the Marine who didn't get into that advanced training school they always dreamed of. It's the unmarried single who can only think about how they are still an unmarried single. Or the married barren couple who desperately wants a child but can't get pregnant, even though they see all the happy babies being born around them. It's the mom having a midlife crisis and, and fixates on all the ways she's missed out on her true dreams. Or it's the widower who won't accept compassion from his friends because it would mean accepting the loss of his wife. Or maybe for you, it's, it's not about some desire denied, but you get stuck thinking about that election or the Russo-Ukrainian war or the Iranian troop withdrawal or BLM or woke culture or TikTok or Tucker Carlson. After last week's sermon, I realized that I have a friend who might be stuck in 2010 when prices in Kailua for a home were back to $500,000. <laughs> and that ship has sailed. I gotta pray for that friend. But maybe you obsess over sports or your diet or a coming promotion or a, a passed over promotion or maybe the, the latest and greatest parenting techniques or homeschool curriculum. What consumes your thoughts? What fills up your heart? And what do you passionately pursue? What do you get stuck thinking about? Because whatever it is that you get stuck on tends to start to fill you up. And whatever fills you up tends to start overflowing out of you. So the question today is, what is overflowing out of you? Or perhaps a more telling, a more important question is, what is getting stuck inside of you? Last week, we finished our Meals with Jesus series. We looked at those 10 meals that Jesus shared in the Gospel of Luke. And we saw that Jesus wants to get rid of everything that gets stuck in you, that keeps you from following him. And over the last three weeks and the last three meals, we saw that Jesus put in those three things that are supposed to get stuck in you. We saw Jesus giving you his body, all of Jesus and all of you, and we got to celebrate that and experience that in communion today. And we saw Jesus giving you his example of, of service so that that would get stuck in you so you'd serve those around you. And we saw that Jesus has given you his word, that his word might get stuck in you and that you would engage in it consistently. But sometimes there's something so deeply rooted, so stuck in you, some distraction that's so big that it takes a work of God to get it out. Let's pick up our story in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. The book of Acts, by the way, is just part two of the Gospel of Luke. One story, the story of Jesus Christ. Uh, the book of Luke, uh, both were written by the physician Luke, and they were written to a most excellent man named Theophilus. And part one of the story, Luke, was about Jesus' work here uh, on earth in his physical incarnation. Volume two, Acts, was Jesus' work here after his ascension as he gave his Holy Spirit to reside in the followers 
uh, his followers. And we see that completed, or we see that continuing in the book of Acts and into our lives today. So let's start in Acts chapter 1, verse 1. We'll read uh, the first six verses. You can follow along with me. It goes like this. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had, by the Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these also he presented himself alive after his sufferings by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for, the Father, for what the Father had promised, which, he said, you heard of from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, let's pause there. What would you have said to the resurrected Jesus in this moment? He just told you about the Holy Spirit. It's coming. He's going to send it. What would you say? I would hope that you'd say something like, yippee, we finally get the Holy Spirit. How many more days do we got to wait? We've been waiting thousands of years for this. I heard something about a baptism of fire. Is, is that scary? Is there a class I should take? Or maybe if they were alive this week, they might have said something like, may the fourth be with you, Jesus. And really bad joke. I appreciate your laughter. Well, let's see how the apostles responded to the resurrected Jesus. We'll finish the second part of verse 6. They said, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? Huh? Jesus is telling about the kingdom of God. They're asking about the kingdom of Israel. Jesus wants to restore their souls. The apostles are asking about a nation. Everything the disciples see and hear is filtered through this lens of restored nation of Israel. They're stuck. And if you remember our, our time last week in Luke 24, it was the same stuck that happened to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. You might remember in Luke 24, verse 21, those two uh, disciples were walking away from Jerusalem, away from the rest of the apostles, and they were sad because they were hoping that it was Jesus who is going to redeem Israel. Jesus is talking about saying the Father's promise of the Holy Spirit to them, and all the disciples wanted to talk about was politics. They are stuck in politics. That's all they can think about. Anybody relate? For those of you who are stuck thinking about your own reality, it's a really hard place to be. And I know from experience that it's really hard to get out of that. And maybe you don't want to be stuck in that self-pity. You don't want to be stuck with that anger, with that frustration. You don't want to be stuck with the boredom and hopelessness of waiting. But you don't know how to get unstuck. And Jesus gently reminds his apostles in verse 7. He said, it's not for you to know the times or epics which the Father has fixed by his own authority. It's not for you. God's got the timing. You can trust God with the thing that you're stuck in. But maybe you're here and you don't even realize you're stuck living for your own kingdom. You're just going about your life and you're not doing anything evil. You're making good in the world and you wonder if this sermon's even for you. Either way, Jesus reminds you that it's not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed. Instead, he says, your job is to wait. 
Look at what we already read in Acts 1-4. Jesus gathered them together and he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. That's all they had to do. They just had to wait. Because those who wait on the Lord, as Isaiah says, will renew their strengths. And as you wait on Jesus to fulfill his promises, we see our first truth from our passage today. If you have your sermon outlines, or for those of you online, there's a PDF on our website. First truth of our passage today, we see to live for God's kingdom and not your own. Live for God's kingdom and not your own. There's a lot of things that you can live for. You can get stuck in your position in life. You can get stuck in a relationship, a desire. But instead, God calls you to his kingdom. And this isn't a new teaching. It's a teaching Jesus has already said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. We see that Jesus said, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So while you may be convinced that you should live for God's kingdom. How do you do it? What does it take to get unstuck? We discover three truths from our passage today. Three truths. The first truth we see from our passage is to live in God's kingdom, you need to be with God's people. To live in God's kingdom, be with God's people. You need to be together with God's people to live out God's kingdom. You know, and the people who say things say that you become like the people you're around. I had a buddy in, in high school. He, um, you know, very type A personality, do, 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 had short hair, and he's going to go get his first job right after high school. And he goes around, and he finds Down to Earth, and they're hiring. And so he, he gets a job at Down to Earth. And those of you who know Down to Earth, the organic hippie store, there's a lot of vibey people there. And it's pretty cool. Well, my buddy works there for about a year, and my buddy becomes pretty vibey. And he starts getting the long, shaggy hair. And then he joins the Marines. <laughs> that hair gets short real fast, and he gets back to... <laughs> you become like the people you spend time with. And when you're around God's people, you start looking like God's people, and you live out His kingdom. In our short passage today, Look at how many times the apostles were with each other. They were together. I put them all together on one slide. We see in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, Jesus gathered them together. In verse 6, when they had come together, they were asking him. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, on the day of Pentecost, they were all together in one place. Together, together, together. Something happens when we come together as a church, as God's people. And when we come together, we make space for God to speak to us through his word and through his witnesses and through those whispers. And we make space to encourage one another to wait as the Father comes and gives us his promises. I'm sorry about this whole, I'm a Christian, but I don't do church thing. That's not a thing. That's the opposite of Christianity. Jesus is always drawing us into community, always gathering us as a people for his own so that we can then go out and bring more into his family. And as you do that, you'll see that God has a bigger purpose for you than the kingdom of your own life. Let's go on to our next verse, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you, 
You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Now, going to the ends of the earth, that sounds like a big and exciting purpose. And people preach this passage about purpose all the time. And that's great. It is about purpose. But notice that before Jesus tells you your purpose, he tells you who you are as a person. Before he tells you your purpose, he tells you who you are as a person. You shall be my witnesses, Jesus says. Your purpose is built from your personhood. Your purpose is an overflow of who you are as a person, of your identity. You are a witness of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and your person precedes your purpose. Throughout Scripture, God calls himself I am, a special intimate name of God. In Greek, it's just ego, a me, and it's the same verb, a different form, but the same verb that is used here. You shall be my witnesses. You know, we claim our identity in a lot of things. Uh, if you're my age and you meet somebody, hey, what's your name and what do you do? Is usually the question that's asked. And to which we usually respond with an identification statement. I am a pastor. I am a pilot. I am a doctor. I am a student. Or perhaps some of you identify with a community. I am a marine. I am a sailor. I am a vibey hippie. Whatever it is. But what if instead of claiming identity in our earthly job, you tell those people you meet that you are a witness of Jesus Christ? You know, a week from now, I'll be sitting on a plane headed out to Israel uh, with a few others, and I can imagine the person sitting next to me is going to say, hey, what do you do? What if I say, you know, I am a witness of the things I have seen and heard of Jesus Christ. It's either going to kill the conversation or make for a really exciting one for a really long plane ride. I'll let you know how it goes. I remind you, that a witness doesn't argue the case. A witness doesn't have to defend that what they're saying is true. A witness just has to share other things they have seen and heard. It's super simple. Truth number two from our passage today, to live in God's kingdom, claim your God-given personhood. To live in God's kingdom, claim your God-given personhood. You are a witness of Jesus Christ. And if you don't care about alliteration, you can put the word identity in there. It's a little shorter. But I like the letter P when Pastor Pete preaches, for Pete's sake. <laughs> Claim your God-given personhood. And last but not least, truth number three from our passage today, and we'll camp out here for a little bit. To live in God's kingdom, be filled with God's power. Be filled with God's power. Right after the apostles bumble it up and they ask God about the kingdom of Israel, Jesus says, it's not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but the real thing you ought to be asking about, the real thing I want to tell you before I ascend, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Jesus promises his followers will receive power. And there's, there's many words in Greek that can get translated as power, but this one in Greek is just dynamis. And it it's just an inherent power. It's a power that's already there, ready for you to access whenever you need it or want it. 
It's the same kind of power that Wi-Fi and cell data gives to your phone. You got a phone, it's got all these cool like apps on it, but you can't check the, for- the surf forecast. You can't FaceTime your mom. You can't do the Facebook without wireless or, or connectivity some way. Inherent power. You know, I have friends who, who built a, a lovely house. It's beautiful. It's right on the base of the Ko'olaus. And they got everything in there. And they got their, their fridge. They got their stove. They got their fans. I think they have AC. But they couldn't move in even when the house had all the nice fixings in it because Hiko, Hawaiian Electric Company, had not yet come and put in the power. It just had to be plugged in. Dynamis, inherent power, the power of the Holy Spirit. Pastor Perry often reminds us that there's two things the devil doesn't want you to know. The first is how to be saved. And you get saved by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, asking him to forgive your sins and following him. But once you're saved, the devil desperately doesn't want you to know how to be filled with the Holy Spirit, because once you're filled, the world gets set on fire, and your life gets changed. So we're going to fix that. Let's look a little further in our passage. Let's look at Acts chapter 2. The power is being plugged in. The apostles are getting the password to the Wi-Fi. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Because the apostles were together, because the apostles had waited, and because of the goodness and generosity of God, the Holy Spirit filled them up and they began to speak in other tongues. Now that word tongues, I know sometimes it sounds scary depending on maybe some of your church traditions or experiences, but it's just the Greek word for languages a language that they didn't know or have learned. It'd be like if I got up here and started speaking French to you. I've never learned French, but if I did it, that would be tongues by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we see in Acts chapter 2, verse 11, that when they were speaking, they weren't just speaking Babel. They were speaking of the mighty deeds of God. When you live in the kingdom of God, you will be filled up with the Holy Spirit. And when you're filled up with the Holy Spirit, you just start overflowing and you share what God has done in your life. You may recall a verse we looked at last week, Luke chapter 6, verse 45. It says, out of the overflow of the heart, so the mouth speaks. God just overflows out of you when you are full of Him. And your life and those around you get changed. And your community is transformed. And that is the purpose of the church. And that is the purpose of the gospel. You know, there's so much to say about the Holy Spirit. And unfortunately, we don't have time in just a sermon and, and to, to share it all. I do encourage you, Pastor Perry has three great hour-long lectures uh, called Pneumatology, the Study of the Holy Spirit. They're on our website. You can find them under Sermon Archives, Theology Lectures, just called Pneumatology. I encourage you to go home and listen to them, watch them. We'll try to send out an email uh, this week with our newsletter. But the thing you ought to know about the Holy Spirit is that He is a gentleman and that He doesn't force Himself on you. Instead, He's given you an invitation. 
an invitation to be filled. And at KCC, we remember how to be filled with the Holy Spirit through a simple acronym called DAY, D-A-Y. And if you've heard this a thousand times, you're like, yeah, I already know D-A-Y. Great, let's do it every day, multiple times a day. To be filled with the Holy Spirit, you've got to start out with D, desire. Desire to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Desire to come and, and be a part of God's people and be in God's Word and be filled. And then you've got to A, ask. Ask God to be filled with the Holy Spirit. God loves to give good gifts to those who ask. And then when, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit and, and the Holy Spirit gives you the power to go and, and, and listen to your neighbor's day or invite a coworker over for a meal or to invite your neighbor kid to VBS, you have to yield to that power. You have to yield to the Spirit and do what He says. And if you don't, you've got to go all the way back to D and start all over again, D-A-Y, and do it every day. Live for God's kingdom and not your own. Be with God's people. Claim your God-given personhood and be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And as you do, you will see amazing works of God. The Bible says that, that the fruit of the Spirit, the overflowing, when the Holy Spirit gets stuck in you and you get filled, you start overflowing with His fruit. And the first fruit is love. Those sisters that I shared about at the, the start of the story. Sister, sister two, um, the one who wouldn't go out of her apartment. She was scared to death. Bubonic plague 2.0 is coming. Her apartment started smelling like trash. She had so many complaints that she was forced to move out of, of her apartment. But she didn't have help. She didn't know what to do. So sister one, living on the other side of the country, a Christian woman who thought COVID was a hoax and would never wear a mask flew to the other side of the country to be with her sister out of an overflow of the love of the Holy Spirit. And they worked through that whole mask issue and she helped her sister find a new home. Would you be filled with the Holy Spirit? And would you let Him overflow out of you? Would you join me as we pray? And if you're here and perhaps you've never been saved, you've never experienced the gift of the Holy Spirit, would you pray something like this? Say, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you died on the cross and rose again and you offered me the gift of life, life eternal and eternal life that starts now through your Holy Spirit. And for the rest of us, Lord, we ask for a fresh filling on the Holy Spirit that we wouldn't... Um, quench your spirit, Lord, that we would desire, ask, and yield to you, and that you would fill each of us as we um, are your witnesses in Kailua and around the world. In Jesus' name, amen.